Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome in to another episode of Photo Taco on the Master Photography Podcast Network. I am your host, Jeff Harmon, and I want to thank you so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. In this episode, I'm going to share with you why it is every photographer should seriously consider going through the challenging exercise of choosing their top 10 images that they created through the year. Uh, this is a topic that I just, I love the benefits and we're going to go through those. So let, let's start right there. Let's start with why would a photographer want to do a yearly photography top 10? And I, I don't want to oversell the annual top 10 process. Uh, I don't think that you will get as much out of choosing your top 10 photos that you created over a year as you would from something like a workshop, for example. I won't give it that much credit. I love workshops. I think they are the very best way to both jumpstart and improve your photography. If you have never done a workshop, I highly recommend that you budget and plan for making that an investment in yourself as a photographer in 2019, no matter how much experience you have, no matter what your level of experience is, going on a workshop with other photographers is just an incredible experience that really benefits you. And, and you really need to do that. I would prioritize that above anything else that you're going to do for your gear, uh, this top 10 process, whatever, whatever it is, that is something you need to do to, uh, to really help uh, you on your path to mastering your photography become a better photographer. With that said, I am 100% serious about this with the annual top 10 process. This is not a gimmick or a cute little thing I'm suggesting here. It's hard. It's really, really hard. As a hobbyist photographer, it's also the right price where the only investment required is your time, which hopefully you do have some of if you are a hobbyist photographer. If you've never worked through an annual top 10 process, I suggest you start now in preparing to do that in December. Start right now. If you're listening to this as I'm releasing it in February of 2019, by December of 2019, I want you to be ready to be able to do your top 10 process. I did not do a great job. I usually try to make this, I, I do this episode or I like an episode like this almost every year I, to encourage photographers to, uh, to do this process because it's so valuable. And I did not, time got away from me this year. I didn't, I, I couldn't fit it in. I couldn't get this episode recorded until February of 2019 when it's two months late and you, uh, you know, the process you're going to do. So I'm going to use it as an opportunity to spark you all into preparing now so that in December of 2019, you're going to be able to do this and we're going to be able to share the results of this process together. Uh, I am hoping that I'm I'm going to have more to share in December in a December photo taco episode so that I can share my progress as I'm kind of doing it. It really helps me. I did a photo talk episode a few years ago called Why and How of Annual Top 10, where I walked through how you can use collections in Lightroom to help you with the technical parts that can really reduce the time it takes. And in that episode, I recommended a process in Lightroom where you pick photos that you think are contenders for one of those top 10 spots continuously throughout the year. And if you follow that process, it, it can really significantly reduce the time it takes you to do an annual top 10, which can be an issue. The time of year to do it in December, and maybe that's a reason why you, you might want to go like mid-year to mid-year, maybe slow time to slow time for your photography, whatever, whenever you might have time to do it. 
to cover 12 month period. It doesn't have to be January 1st to December 31st, but um, I find it helpful to follow that for me just to remind me to do it or otherwise I would probably forget. But if there's another marker that you want to use, a 12 month rolling window of some kind, that's great that you're going to get uh, help out of the process to do it. Now, I want to describe just as briefly as I can, I'm going to repeat a lot of the information. You, I would definitely recommend you go and check out the show notes, listen to that why and how of annual top 10 uh, podcast episode to get a little bit more detailed information. But I'm going to, I'm going to go through it uh, uh, some here as well, just to repeat it. Uh, I think it's helpful to, to kind of go through it. Um, to me, the very easiest way to do an annual top 10 is using the collections feature in Lightroom Classic CC. So it's not to say you can't use other software to help you through this. I just won't be able to provide you the specific direction on how to do it. If you are a Lightroom user, and the vast majority of my audience is, then this is how I think you can best use Lightroom to help you with this process. Um, I use two collections to work through choosing my annual top 10 photos of the year. And we're going to start with, you create the collection and you need to do this now. If you're listening in February, 2019, you need to go create this collection today and you need to get ready, get it set up so that you can use it throughout the year. The other collection you don't need until you're going to choose your top 10 in December, but, um, but you need this other, this first collection. I call it the candidates collection. At the start of a year, I go out and I create a collection. I call it candidates followed by the year. So for like this year, I did candidates 2019. I create that collection and you do that in the library module on the left hand side of the screen in the library module in the in the library view um, inside of Lightroom. There's a panel there called collections. And if you don't use collections much, you may never have really used it at all. You go create a collection, you hit a little plus sign and, and you create a collection and just name it Candidates 2019. After you create the collection, the other thing you need to do is right click on it after Lightroom shows it there in your, can your collections panel, right click on it and set it at as the target collection. So as you right click, there's a menu option that says set as target collection. Click that. And the reason for that is this makes it so that you don't have to spend almost any time or thought processes as you go through the year to add photos to that collection. What you do is as you're editing photos, you know when you've done an edit of a photo and you've created a photo that is really good work that you're very, very proud of. Maybe one that, that you like, you know, you shared on social media, you know, you know which photos those are. Those are candidates for your top 10 and finding those at the end of the year when you have to go through thousands and thousands of photos can be a very daunting task. So collecting them through the year through the collections is really helpful. And if you set that candidate collection as the target collection, then anytime you get to that point on a photo, before you go share it on social media, all you have to do is hit the B key on your keyboard. And I don't know how you're going to remember that. I just remember that B is going to put it in my target collection because I've done it a lot. And in fact, I really don't have to think about it now. I've done it so many years that I'm used to my workflow incorporates now. If I get a photo that I'm super proud of and I'm going to go share it to social media, I just hit the B key. I know it's got added to my candidates collection and it's going to be there at the end of the year inside that collection for me to consider to make it to my top 10. 
So I don't know how you're going to remember that, how you're going to incorporate it, but if you can do that, it's going to save you so much time at the end of the year to go through your photos, these candidates that are in this collection, and uh, and decide which are your top 10. It's, it's a very, very helpful thing. Now, there are other ways to find the candidates for top 10 at the end of the year. If you do a good job of rating your photos, then you could look through all your five-star photos or maybe those that you've rated, I don't know, green through the year, something like that. You can accomplish a similar result without using collections. And at the end of the year, you can go into Lightroom, use the filtering of all your photos for the year and be able to find like all the five stars or all those that were green or whatever those are. Certainly, you, there are other ways that you can leverage the capabilities of Lightroom to make it so that you can accomplish the same objective. I just really like the way collections works. I love the way that I can make that into something that, uh, I don't know, it works for me. You can try it out. If you don't like it, then don't do it and find a way that works for you. The, the whole thing is make sure you do it. The one kind of feature I highly recommend you do not use in Lightroom for this is the flags for uh, picking or... Um, rejecting or unflagged because you only have three levels and those tend to mean something else to you through the year. Um, if you went at the end of the year, at least for me, I do enough with pick flags that if I went at the end of the year and I said, show me all my photos that have pick flags marked on them, I'd get a lot of photos. <laughs> I'd have thousands of photos I probably would have to go through. It wouldn't be very helpful. It would, it's not, it ends up not being a very meaningful way for me to do it. Certainly, you don't want like the rejected ones. That wouldn't make any sense. So I, I don't know. I, I think that's, that's when I would recommend it doesn't have enough differences there to make it so that you can get like a meaningful set of really good shots that you had on the year that should be considered for your top 10 star ratings, color ratings. Those, those have enough levels that you could even dedicate a specific rating. Like you could say, I'm only going to do five stars on the images that I want to look at as top 10 through the year. And that's great. That can be meaningful to you. It's a good way to differentiate it. It's a good way to narrow it down to really just the best work. And that's, that's the objective. We want to use the tool to make it so that we have a way to figure out what are the, the best of my images for this year. And I like putting them in collection, but you can do it however you want. I'm going to continue to describe how I go through it. And so you can try out the collection stuff. If you've never used collections and you want to just use this method just for this purpose, that's great. I love collections for a whole bunch of other reasons, but that's not what this episode is about. So let's just talk about continuing on this. So I, I have my my candidates 2019 collection, right? And it's marked as the target collection. So as I get through the images and I hit B, because I really liked that one, I thought I did a super job on it. And then at the end of the year, uh, you know, that's just all there is to it through almost the whole part of the year. At the end of the year, I now have to go through those. And I need to pick my top 10 out of those. I got to narrow it down from hopefully less than 100 or so images, fewer than that. I, I, I hope I don't end up with that many images through the year to go through to get down to 10. But uh, and, and if there's too many there, it's just, it just feels like it's not meaningful. You weren't doing a good job through the year of actually identifying work that was really some of your best. And that's, that seems like a, an important attribute too. That's something that you can kind of evaluate 
as you go through this process, it's it's helpful to sort of see that. If you end up with 400 photos at the end of the year that are your best work, yeah, that's that's really not really possible, right? That having that many photos that are your best work on the year, it, it probably needs to be fewer than that, and and that's going to help you to grow and develop too. All right. So anyway, I I create at the end of the year as I'm going to go do this process. I don't want to touch that candidate's collection itself. It's valuable to me to have that information available to me after I go through this process. That's why I called it candidates because that's where my best work as I identified it through the year are going to stay. And they are candidates to be top 10, but I'm going to leave it as it is. So I go create another collection called best collection. Uh, best 2019 is what I will create in December. I've actually created it now because I know I'll need it. But I create the best 2019 collection and I copy all of the images that were in the candidates collection. I just hit like uh, command A and then go and drag them over to the uh, best collection. When you drag it from one collection to the other, it adds those photos that you drag over into the collection. It doesn't change them, remove them out of the one that they're in. All right, so I do that. I go put them into the best collection, and uh, and that's now where I'm going to actually narrow it down from those that are there to the top ten. And so I start in the library module, and I use this to uh, to narrow it down. I go to the grid view of the library module, and a shortcut key that you really want to learn these shortcut keys, not just for this, but for everything you do in Lightroom. You hit the G key, stands for grid, is how I think of it, G grid. That takes you to the library module in the grid view. And it's really a, a nice way to be able to look at a lot of photos at once. Um, you can specify kind of how big the thumbnail is going to be that is going to show there. It's a really, it's, it's like the most performant way that Lightroom will be able to show you all those images too. So it's a good way to go through them. And when you have more than say about 30 is my cutoff line. If there's more than 30 images in that best collection at this point, then I use the library module grid view and I'm gonna go through and usually in one pass, I can get rid of probably about half of the images that are in my collection, in that best collection. And to get rid of them, I just hit the delete key. Delete in the library module, in the grid view, when you're using, you have a collection as kind of what you're looking at, um, the delete key is not deleting an image. It's not taking it out of your catalog. It's not deleting it off your hard drive. All it's doing is taking it out of the collection. So it doesn't touch anything else in Lightroom. Your, Im your images are still there in the catalog. Your edits are all still there. They're even going to be in the candidates collection still. But when I hit delete, it removes it out of the best collection. So I, in library module, grid view, I'm just hitting delete key on the ones that I can already tell right off the bat that are fairly easy decisions at this point to just like, no, 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 yeah, not that one, not that one, and get rid of a few, especially like when there's some from the same theme, maybe even the same shoot. I have multiple out of the same shoot that I added. It's easy to be able to go, well, for that shoot, I, I had four images that I thought were good candidates. I'm only gonna pick uh, that one out of that, that shoot and get rid of the other three, something like that. I go through this process where at that level, it's really not terribly difficult to be able to pick images to get rid of um, until about 30 or so. That's where I switch this process just a little bit. And what I do at 30, and I, I, in a way I picked 30 just because of 
how you can view it. I switched from the grid view in the library module to the survey view in the library module. And this works very differently from a lot of other views. If you've never used it, it's a really cool way to be able to pick between a lot of the same pose, for example. If, you, if you're looking at, a, let's say, a, a portrait shoot and you have, I don't know, 10 of the same pose, same composition, and you gotta pick the best one, survey mode's a fabulous way to be able to narrow that down. So the way this works would be everything that you have selected when you go to survey mode is shown on the screen at once, all images, which is not gonna work when you have more than 30 about, is kind of where I have come to, at least on a 27 inch screen that I'm using, uh, or sorry, I'm using a 32 inch screen. But so if you have a smaller screen, 30 might be too many, so you can't actually see all of them at once. But what Lightroom's gonna do is every photo that you have selected is gonna be shown on that screen at the same time, every single one of them. If you put, 500, it's going to try to show all 500 photos on the same screen and it's going to size them small enough so that all the 500 can fit. I find about 30 is good for the screen that I have and, and, uh, and giving me enough detail in the photos at about 30 so that I can make decisions about which to start throwing out and which I don't. And now when I say throw them out, this is where it's a little different too, because in survey mode, you don't really hit delete to do anything. I, I think you can, I haven't actually tried that, but what I do is um, as your mouse floats over photos, there's a little X that appears in the lower right-hand corner of the photo that's shown in survey mode. And I just start hitting the X on the photos that I don't think are gonna make the cut. It's not doing anything except deselecting the photo at that point. So it's not removing them uh, from your hard drive. It's not removing them from the collection. It's not changing edits. It's not doing anything else. It's just deselecting that one. And I am, but the cool part is when you hit that X, Lightroom does a little bit of calculation there. And because you've now removed a photo, it tries to see, can I enlarge, make the each photo bigger on the screen now, fit them all in. I still have to, Lightroom's still going to put every photo that you've got selected on the screen, but it, it tries to figure out, can I, can I make them bigger? Can I make them look bigger? So as you're narrowing your, your list down, your number of photos down from, let's say 30 is kind of where I start at to go in survey mode. As I go down to 29 and 28 and 27, depending on the aspect ratio of the photos, how wide and tall they are, Lightroom does a really cool job of just figuring out how to best display them as big as it possibly can. And as I'm narrowing it, these images are getting bigger and bigger and bigger so I can see more and more detail along the way. And I love that aspect of it. It makes it so that as the decisions are getting harder because you're narrowing down from 30 to 20 to 15 to 10, you it's harder. It gets way, way harder to select which image is not going to make the cut. And I want to be able to see more and more and more detail of the image. I want to see them bigger and bigger and bigger. And survey mode does that for me. So that's really awesome to be able to use that. When I'm done, when I have it down to 10, and I'm, I know I'm glossing over that. If, if you want, I mean, you can imagine how hard it is to pick between your babies here. Through the year, you've picked your very best images. You put them in that target collection, the candidates collection, and now you you're, you're have to figure out which baby is the ugliest. It's really that kind of a decision. It's tough. It's super hard. And you got to consider all of the elements of it. And it's, it's really a valuable process to go through to do that. 
um, you have to kind of figure out, you know, composition and lighting and uh, contrast and colors and all of the things that go into making good photos. You are forced in this process now to really evaluate that, to look at them and decide which of your images is better. I it, it, Let's go like 15. At that point, it is so hard. The obvious ones, the ones that are look are clearly weaker than others are already gone at that point. They're already been ousted. And you are looking at 15 really good images of yours, really images you are super proud of. And yet you've got to narrow it from 15 to 14. You have, you, you have that task at hand. You're looking at 15 beautiful images that you spent your time and effort creating through the year. These are solid shots. Which one doesn't make the cut? How am I going to decide which baby is ugly? And it's really, really hard and valuable, super valuable. You've got to really, it's forcing yourself to evaluate your work, yourself, and you, you really can't lie to yourself. You can't make excuses. You can't, it, it really forces you into like a portfolio review that you do yourself. I love it. I love that process and how it makes it work. All right, so let's say you got down to 10 now. You, you've used survey mode. You very painfully hit the X in the corner on your images. Your baby, you said that baby's ugly. <laughs> and now you're down to 10. You're not going to go back to like the grid view mode and just have 10 images in your collection, which is what I actually want to have happen in my best uh, collection. So you can switch to survey or back to grid mode by hitting G and that's fine because you're going to have 10 photos that are selected. But what, what I want to do is I want to actually remove the photos that didn't make the cut out of the collection so that in the collection, I only have 10 images. To do this, I, the very best way that I have found to do this is to use a rating that you don't normally use. For me, it's colors. I don't do much with color ratings. Uh, for you, it could be star ratings. Uh, it could be the pick flags potentially, but you don't want to reuse a rating system in Lightroom that you actually already use and has meaning. If you use pick flags regularly, don't use pick flags here. If you use the star ratings regularly, don't use the star ratings. For me, like I said, I, I don't really use the color ratings much. If I do, it's generally just the green color rating. So I hit the nine key, which is blue, and I mark them that way. I mark my top, the 10 photos that survived my survey mode selection. And I mark those with the blue color rating because I don't use that color rating anywhere else. It just is a, a convenient way to do it. You could also decide not to like to reverse this when you're done. But anyway, it, that's, that's my recommendation. Now I can go through the collection and I can actually just hit the delete key on any of the photos that aren't, don't have the blue rating. And I'm going to end up with my 10 final images. And I think I do go clear off the blue rating at the end, just, just cause I don't need it set on anything. And, uh, and that's, that's helpful. So now I have my best top 10 images, separate collection from the candidates images and that provides me some some really valuable information. Um, let's let's talk now about. Do I need to do ten? Why why ten? Why do you pick a top ten? And mostly it's just because of 
kind of tradition that we as human beings have at this point. We're very used to top 10 lists. I mean, you've heard of them constantly. It's been on, you know, night shows. And, and there's all kinds of, of top 10 lists that come out. It just happens to be, I think, something our brains can adapt to, they can process, they can compare and contrast the items that are in the list. Uh, we can fit it in our brain. When, the, when it's a list of 10, we can kind of fit it in there fairly easily for most people. Um, and, and so it's a number that we just kind of have by tradition gravitated towards. I don't think there's anything super magical about 10. It's not to say that 12 couldn't be your number, 15 maybe. Sure, that can be it. The, the, the biggest thing I want you to consider, the biggest objective that you should have as you go through this process, it should hurt. <laughs> it should really, really hurt to get to your number. It really hurts to 10, get to 10 for me. It's hard. It's super hard. I have more than 10 shots I take on a year that I'm really, really happy with, really proud of that are pieces I think are portfolio worthy. I end up with more than 10, but I have to really, really focus on my work. I have to really analyze it. I have to, to painstakingly figure out which of my lovely babies <laughs> that I created through the year is ugliest and, and aren't going to make the cut, aren't going to make the top 10. And it's so valuable to go through that. If you are not hurting in that way when you're doing this, if you are going through the process and it isn't just terrible for you to decide what are the final 10 images, your number's too big. You need to you need to ratchet it down further, and it's you've got to make it so that it really hurts. I've seen some people pick nine as a number, and there's reason for that is it's Instagram. It's uh it's easier on Instagram to be able to show nine images in a three by three grid with all of the images being a square aspect ratio, one by one aspect ratio, and that's a simple way to share in Instagram. In fact, I believe there's tools and other apps that will automatically do this for you. Maybe even picking like looking at the images through the year and it'll pick your top most popular images, the ones that were most liked, and it will display those as your top nine. Uh, so some people have, have gone to that, to nine. That's great. That's even harder than 10, obviously. You've got one more photo that isn't going to make the cut. And there's a reason that you're doing it. I don't like to do that myself. I've chosen not to simply because, well, Instagram's not as big a thing for me personally. I've decided at this stage of my life at this point, I don't have the time for it. I am not looking to really advertise my services. I am a hobbyist photographer. I'm going to share some stuff on Instagram. Sure. I'm going to do that because it's kind of fun to do, but it's not a primary objective and I do I, Instagram is not a massive target for me. It's not going to, I'm not going to let Instagram control anything I do in my photography at this point. I may change that decision later. I don't know. But for now, I'm sticking with 10. 10 is a good number for me. It's been really meaningful. And I like to have some consistency. I've done 10 for the last four years. I have four years worth of history now of doing this annual top 10 process. And that's super valuable to be able to compare that. In fact, that's the next thing I want to talk about are the statistics that I'm able to get year over year. Now that I've done this several times, super valuable just as an objective to kind of force you to really analyze your work. That's the primary reason I'm going to recommend you do this, especially if you've never done something like this. 
going through that exercise, I think you're going to be just shocked at how valuable it is in being able to help you to evaluate your work without lying to yourself. It's so, so helpful for that. But there's some other things that you can do as you do this year over year that can help you. There's a few statistics I want to share with you. And maybe this is something that just appeals to the nerd in me. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm just so geeky that this is just gets me amped up and excited. I don't know. Maybe it won't speak to everybody. And if it doesn't, whatever, that's fine. But I still think there's so, so much value in doing the process in helping you to like evaluate your work that it's worth doing even if you don't go to the level of looking at these statistics. But I've gone through some of the statistics this year of things in the past. And there's a couple of things that kind of spoke to me as I looked at those at those numbers and, and what was there. The first one was the number of photos I shot in the year. This isn't going to mean what, what I've already talked about won't necessarily bring you this number because I, in my workflow at this point, I am importing pretty well every single photo I shoot into Lightroom. Um, not everyone does that. Some people choose to cull outside of Lightroom using tools like Photo Mechanic, for example. And so if that's the case, you you might not have these numbers. So it's not directly associated with the top 10, but the top 10 comes into play in understanding my numbers. So in 2018, I shot 10,435 photos. All right, it's a fair number. Uh, it brings my total catalog size to 97,495. So 2018, just the shots that I took in 2018 represents about 11% of my catalog. In 2017, I shot 19,244, almost twice the number of photos, about 46% fewer photos in 2018 than in 2017. All right, so now the thing is, why? Why did I shoot so such fewer sh photos in 2018? Was it a good thing? Was it a bad thing? How can I explain that? So as I was looking at those numbers and trying to, to, to figure out what does it mean, because it could mean I got better. It could mean I just didn't shoot as much. That was another thing I could, I could look at was, well, I didn't get out as much in 2018 as in 2017. And that would be something I could you know, make a more conscious effort of in 2019 to say, I just, I have to find more time to do this. Even though I'm a hobbyist, I'm not doing this profession. I'm not going to do it every single day. I need to figure out how to prioritize things. Maybe I need to watch less TV and go out and shoot more, <laughs> something like that. Less sports, more shooting, um, or maybe combining sports and shooting. I love doing that. But I do think that I went out less in 2018 than 2017. I got busier. I got three teenage kids that are super, super busy. They're keeping me going a lot. And I, it's absolutely true. A piece of the reason, a portion of the reason that I shot fewer shots in 2017 or 2018 over 2017 was just because I didn't get out as much. Uh, the, another reason would be time lapses. I shot a few time lapses in 2017. It was, it was an area of exploration that I had in 2017 and in 2016. I thought I was, I was kind of interested in checking that out and trying some tools and, and looking at that. And, and I had fun doing it. It was really fun. That obviously inflates your shutter count <laughs> or the number of photos that you take when you're doing time lapses. Cause you take thousands and thousands of photos to, to try to put together time lapses. I didn't do any time lapse in 2018, not not at all. So those those are a couple of reasons that bring me to that. But I know for sure there's an indicator that I got better in 2018 
with respect to shot count, and that's because the number of photos in my candidates collection changed. I had in the previous years under 30. Well, yeah, previous to 2017, we're under 30. In 2017, I had 36 shots that made it into my candidates collection through the year. Now, of course, it could be I just didn't do a, a super stellar job of of hitting that B key as I went through the photos as I was editing them. That's totally possible. But in 2018, that number jumped from 36 in 2017 to 79. I more than doubled my candidates that went into that collection through the year. And that is a, a really, com you combine that with the fact that I had so many fewer, that just absolutely tells me I got better at making sure when I clicked the shutter button, I was getting something that was valuable. I did way better at that. A marked improvement. And I felt that way through the year. I added a lot more flash to my portrait photography through the year in 2018. I felt like I got way better at incorporating flash into my portraits. And it meant that where I was prior to 2018, I mean, I did a little bit of flash in 2017, but even before that in 2016 and, and earlier, flash wasn't really there. I was taking tons of photos. I had more of a spray and pray approach to my photography, especially my portrait photography, because I, I didn't know what else to do. I was learning very much how to do, get exposure right, how to get the shutter speed where I wanted it, you know, creating a photo instead of taking a photo. I got better at it in 2018. I had more candidates. That shows me that I got better at it, and I have fewer shots. So yes, some of it can be explained by not getting out as much and not doing time lapses, but I have this evidence, this data that I have on my trends from my candidates collection and the number of photos that ended up in there to tell me I did. I got better. I It wasn't just a feeling because I did have that feeling as I went through it. And if that's all you have, that's still great. That's still good information. It's still good to be able to look at your your collections and say, yeah, I, I see improvement here year over year. My candidates collection is almost better than my best collection from last year. Uh, stuff like that. There, there's things that, that you can get feelings on. You can, can, can see improvement in your work. But I have, I have these numbers now to show me that, yes, it's not just a feeling. You did. You, you absolutely ended up with better shots and a higher quantity of better shots in 2018 than you had in 2017. And that's really awesome. I also learned uh, from this trending, I, I really kind of thought I need to make sure that these trends are, are more solid. <laughs> I need to make sure it wasn't just because I didn't do a good job of hitting the B key as I went through in 2017 or 2016 or whatever it is. And that was the difference. I, it isn't because of the way I can compare. I, I know that's not the case, but it made me think I need to, I, I have to set a goal for myself for 2019. I've got to make sure that this, I can get more value out of this process if I do a good job of culling, there's other benefits too. I'm going to lower my storage space. I'm going to, I'm going to have a lot of benefits that come out. Culling is a very beneficial process. 
I've even done podcast episodes. I've got one called uh, the Embedded Preview Workflow that talks about the workflow that I use to make sure Lightroom Classic CC can go as fast as it possibly can. I have Culling Like a Pro is another episode I've done where I talk about a process you can use to make Lightroom culling really, really fast, especially when you use the Embedded Preview Workflow process. Culling can be super fast, not maybe as fast, quite as fast as Photo Mechanic. I, I just can't say that it quite gets there, but it's close. It's close enough that I, you can do this without photo mechanic. You can make it so that you can call really, really quickly, even thousands of shots. You can make it happen. And, and I need to just make sure I follow my own advice. I need to be consistent with it. And that's going to make so these numbers and the, the trending that I'm seeing is going to be even more meaningful at the end of the year. It's going to take several years to get there, but I know in 2019, I've got to set a goal so it becomes even more automatic that I follow my culling process and it becomes a standard part of my workflow. All right. One other statistical category I want to share with you before I close out the episode, shots by camera. I've never done this analysis before. I just, as I was going through my top 10 this year, it was something that was going to be interesting to me because I've shot a few different cameras this year and not had that as much in the other, in the previous years. So I was kind of interested to know, well, did I end up with some of my bests coming out of different cameras? And yeah, not really, but it was interesting to kind of go through the statistics. So what I had was in 2018, here's how the shot breakdown worked by camera type. 42% of my shots were taken with my 7D Mark II, 24% with the Canon 80D, 9% with the Canon 60D, which is what uh, in 2018, that's something that happened. I sold my 60D, we bought the 80D, and so it's kind of impressive actually that... Um, 24% of the photos ended up with the ADD because I only had that partway through the year and such a low count from the 60D means, uh, you know, the camera upgrade produced some impressive results and that, that uh, I shot it more and uh, we'll talk about more about that in just a second. But I also had 15% of my shots, which is really amazing. This A7R3, the Sony A7R3 was 15% of my shots on the year. And I didn't have that camera more than about a week. <laughs> so uh, I really shot a lot. And granted, it was a new camera. I wanted to do a lot of shooting, but, um, but there was a lot of shots. I also was sent, Fuji sent me the X-T3 this year to do some evaluations. And I'm working on that kind of uh, final analysis. And I'll, I'll be sharing that in an upcoming episode probably on the master photography podcast, not here on photo taco, but 9% of my shots in 2018 were taken with the Fuji X-T3. And then less than 1% of my shots were from iPhone, either my 6S, which I upgraded mid-year in 2018 to this, to the X. So 6S or X doesn't matter. Only less than 1% of my shots came from the iPhone. That's primarily because I don't shoot my iPhone and import it into Lightroom. I, uh, I definitely shoot my iPhone a lot. It's the camera I have with me that's the one that's going to get used. I have it with me all the time. I use it constantly. And, but it's usually um, only because I don't have my other camera with me, right? I don't pack around my, my nice DSLR camera with me all the time as I'm out and about. 
And uh, so I, I end up taking shots with the iPhone. I may share some on, on social media. Um, I may get some shots I'm, I like pretty well, but I'm not going to go all the way to the effort of importing them into Lightroom and editing them on my desktop in Lightroom. I may use Lightroom Mobile to do that and get a little bit more out of the photo than I could have got straight out of camera, but uh, it's not going to end up in my desktop Lightroom library. So it's kind of interesting statistics. Um, 70 Mark II is still my favorite camera. It's still the one I like the best. Had it for a number of years now. I think it's four years at this point, maybe even uh, coming close to five. And it's just, it's a fantastic camera for a hobbyist. I love the controls. I love the frame rate. The way you can change exposure triangle, metering modes, focus points really, really quickly. It's like getting 90% of the experience out of a full frame camera, but for like a third of the price. That's uh, full frame cameras. They're intended for for professionals, and so they have all the bu- the buttons and knobs and and ways to to really use that like a tool that it should be. And on the consumer end of cameras, when they're not designed for the professionals, the crop sensors, the entry level stuff. That's what you. That's a big piece of the camera that you sacrifice is not having as many buttons or as many things that you can change in the configuration of the menus, or whatever it is. And the 7D Mark III or two, 7D Mark II. I'm hoping for the 7D Mark III this year, and I'm hoping that it will increase the dynamic range. But the 7D Mark II offers a lot of that same experience, the making it a tool in my hand and and being able to do so much with it uh, without having the high cost of the full frame body. I hope. That they will release the 7D Mark III. I hope that it will have increased dynamic range and still keep similar frame rates and similar meter uh, uh, focus capabilities, those kinds of things, because I'm very happy with those aspects of it. I just want the dynamic range to be improved. And that's why the ADD is, is so amazing to me and why these numbers were kind of special and, and valuable for me to go through. The ADD has better dynamic range than the 7D Mark II, no question. And it's it turns out that I've seen it now firsthand because I've had both cameras and I've done a lot of shooting with both cameras. I, I know how important that dynamic range is now. I know how much better the detail looks because of the improved dynamic range. And it's made me opt to use the ADD on some of my portrait shoots over the 7D Mark II. Now, there are occasions where my wife and I are both shooting like basketball games. When we do high school basketball games, she'll shoot the ADD. I prefer the 7D Mark II for the focusing systems and some of the controls that I have to be able to react to the situation much better than I can with the ADD that just doesn't have the same uh, tooling and controls to be able to do that. But uh, in portrait shoots, that's not as important. I don't have a frame rate I need. I don't have... Uh, the need to really quickly change focus points and and where they are and which ones I'm using. I, the, the needs are very different. It did make me nervous to do portrait shoots with the ADD because of a single memory card. I don't like that aspect of it, but it was worth it to get the increased dynamic range. So it really came on strong towards the end of the year as we had the ADD. I, I opted to use that for a lot of my portrait shoots over the 7D Mark II because of the dynamic range and the numbers bear that out. Kind of an interesting analysis that I was able to do because of how I use Lightroom and and that's cool. So really not applicable so much to the best of 2019 or 2018, uh, but it was an interesting analysis 
and and I I kind of liked doing it. So there you go. That's that's how I'm kind of preaching the the top ten and going through that process. I I hope that you'll do it. I hope you'll take the challenge. I hope you'll kind of pull those photos through the year that you think are kind of candidates to be a possible top 10 contender and uh, and then go through that horrible process at the end of the year, <laughs> the process that that literally hurts. It, it's so hard. I have to even walk away for a little while. I'll get it down to like, you know, 13, 14, 15 photos and I just can't decide. And so I have to walk away come back or uh, go grab my wife and say, all right, I need help. I can't figure out which one of these is the worst of these images, which one is the ugliest <laughs> and get some help on it. Um, it's tough. It's super hard. It's so valuable to do it. And, uh, and I highly, highly recommend it. I hope that this podcast will convince you to do that process, to spend the little bit of time it takes to go through it. And I think you're just going to love the results and, and how you grow as a photographer because of it. All right, that's all we have time for in this episode, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Now, I know everyone's already bailing. They're already getting out. You know what's coming up next, but I'm going to say it anyway for those of you that actually stay with me to the whole end of the episode. Uh, you can find the Photo Taco-related information over at phototacopodcast.com. There's searchable show notes there. If you have not checked out the show notes for Photo Taco, you really, really need to. If you can't remember the process um, that I just talked about, go to the show notes. It's all documented there. Almost everything that I say in the episode is in the show notes at the website. So you really got to go over to phototacopodcast.com and find the show notes. I also have a listener Facebook group, not nearly as popular as the Master Photography Facebook group, which you could also join and I'd I'd recommend that you do. But the Photo Taco listeners Facebook group is definitely there. It is linked to in the show notes so that you can go find it. And um, we'd, I'd love to have you in. I do have to ask you to answer a question in order to join to keep the spammers and the bots out of there. I only want listeners. I only want listeners of Photo Taco in that group. So you have to name a host of the show. That's Jeff Harmon. So you can just put that in there and I'll let you right in. As soon as you let me know, that means that you've listened to an episode if you have, if you can name the host of the show. So that's what you have to do. Love to connect to you with you on Instagram. Uh, the show is Photo Taco Podcast or my personal account. I use a lot more on Instagram than, than the uh, show's um, handle and that's at Harmon Jeff. Twitter at Photo Taco. I do a fair amount of things on Twitter too. Or if uh, you have a suggestion for the show, oh, you can drop me an email, oldschoolphototacopodcast at gmail.com. And I, uh, I love taking recommendations. I love having people suggest for topics for the show. So happy to have you do that. I'd love to have you tell me what you'd like to, to have on the show. As topics go, I also love to do things that I know nothing about, which is a lot. So if I don't know the answer to the question, I'm going to go find an expert that can come on the show and we dive into it in a lot of detail. Talk about that topic. No question that is too basic or too complicated. Somehow we're going to get to the bottom of the answers. And, uh, and that's what Photo Taco is all about. Photo Taco is part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. So you want to go check that out too. Masterphotographypodcast.com for that. Together, we want to help you to master your photography. Photo Taco! The views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned.
Olay!